Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. from the Apostrophe Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. You're surviving life with Les Stroud. I'm working on jealousy. I'm not into hate. I'm working on anger. Because I'm not into rage. So we're jumping right into season two with part two of my conversation with author, journalist, and Sasquatch enthusiast, if you will, John Zada. We had this conversation when he had just released his incredible book, In the Valleys of the Noble Beyond, about his experiences searching for Bigfoot by embedding himself with First Nations communities on the West Coast. And this chat happened when Trump was still in office, so you'll hear a reference to that. To set the stage, we sat on my dock overlooking the lake, drinking a fine glass of scotch. I like to switch back and forth between a McCallum's 25 and a Laphroaig 15. This conversation is about existence. Not Bigfoot, but ours. It's about the imminent decline of the Western civilization. It's about being blissfully ignorant. It's about truth or bullshit. Yeah, we tangent. And that's what makes talking with John Zada so interesting. His breadth of knowledge, or at least breadth of opinion, on just about anything is always insightful. These are the continuing words of John Zada. Every form of technology brings unintended consequences. 30 years go by Still sing American But every human being could hear what every other human being thought in their own minds as each thought passed through their mind. So long. For me, the Sasquatch thing happened in, in terms of media just because I happened to tell the story on, on the Opie and Anthony show in New York. And, uh, Hey man, you ever seen Bigfoot? And I thought, and I never, I just, I just like to go there. I don't, I don't ever want to have a reason to, to have to bullshit on camera on a microphone. So I'm, I'm like, well, yeah, actually. Cause he asked, right. So, and then I told the story with all graphic detail and then it, it kind of blew up. People were all talking about it and that's, and I just kept that in my pocket until I was ready to go out and professionally, if you will, kind of approach the subject matter. I wouldn't say it changed my life. Doing the show didn't change my life. But, you know, to go there for a bit, the other part of the reasoning of the timing of when I did Survivor Man Bigfoot, and, and it was interesting because I asked you to fix an article you wrote where you interviewed me, and I said, can we just add one thing there when you said, yeah, but don't you think that shows like that brought it, you know, finding, enabled it Finding to- Bigfoot. Yeah, Finding Bigfoot brought it to be, enabled the, the larger audience. And I think initially, uh, whatever, I, I answered, yeah, you got a point. But then I thought, wait a minute. 
yes, it does, but under what context? And my point being is that with Finding Bigfoot, it really turned it into a cultural punchline, is my stance. After that, no disrespect, you know, Bobo and just the squatch. That's a squatch. That's a squatch. All of that nonsense. Cliff's a great, he's a great musician. He's a great guy. Stand, they're all stand-up people. But the production was not a stand-up production. It was filled with contrivances. It was, it was just made up and staged and all this stuff with the exception of the town hall. And that was interesting because those people were really telling their stories. So my, again, my bottom line on that is that it made it a joke. It made people snicker and giggle. When my niece tries to ask me about it, she giggles. You know, when Robert Downey Jr.'s got a teaser for one of his new films in it, it's a joke about him saying, and my client wants to see a Sasquatch. All of that just broke my heart because it was like, wait a minute, everybody, it's a real thing. And let me show you. And that's why I set off to make that. I wanted to be skeptical, but not cynical. You know, I wanted to be serious, but not somber, just, you know. I know you're talking about the overall show and its overall effect, but um, interestingly, the other day I was listening to Cliff and Bobo's, an episode of their new podcast that they've got out, and Cliff was talking about how he's recognized most often in Native communities and in Indigenous communities, and, and he discovered later that it was because they loved the show. And why did they love the show? They loved the show because it was a vindication, you know, of their belief systems and everything. And, and that really made them feel good. So I guess in a way too, like I do sort of see the the hokey elements in it as you do, but at the same time, like, I guess there are little things like that. And there probably are probably, you know, several such things that resulted from the show that maybe were also positive, right? Yeah, it shouldn't be so hard. You know what my problem is? I'm a film producer You're a TV and I guy, know yeah. the behind, yeah, yeah. I know the people who produce it. I know the, the extent to which they bullshit stuff. In the end, I ended up working with them and it was horrible. Um, they were just so willing to make up whatever they want to make up. Look, I don't want to be a prick about it. I don't want to be a goof about it. It's just that I, I know so much about behind the scenes. But again, this is why I quit Shark Week. Like I said to you earlier that I'm just a slave to truth. I love truth and reality. I, I look, I'm not, it's not, I'm not dissing entertainment. If you can watch a, an episode of Bear Grylls and go, I know he's teaching crap survival skills that aren't realistic, but damn, he's entertaining. Good. Then watch at, go for it. Just Godspeed. Enjoy the entertainment. I know I can watch Finding Bigfoot and I know that, that they're not really out there in the bush. They're actually at the side of the road, just shooting a scene, but I get that, but I like the entertainment. Good. But if somewhere there's a 13-year-old kid who wants to do a school project and they're watching, you know, show that's just rife with bullshit because the producers decided to script it, that's the part that hurts me. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just too old for the industry, but I like the old school of, and I'm not suggesting that it was always pure in the past either. In the world of documentary television, all right, I'm firmly entrenched of say it like it is because I believe that the drama and the suspense and the intrigue and the compelling nature of it all, it's all there in the truth. Look, I'm going to spend seven days in a jungle and you want me to make it more dramatic? Are you kidding me? I'm there without food. And I had producers say that to me. You get, you know, I got no food, no water. I'm in the jungle in the Amazon for seven days and you think I need to inject drama. No, I'm not going to do it. So that was me being a bump on the log, a stick in the mud, whatever you want to say. So this bothers me. And that's why it bothered me with the media around Sasquatch was I saw that they were doing it, which to your point, is great. They're doing it. They're getting it accepted. But they were doing it and they were skewing it with a lot of bullshit. That's what bothered me, I think, more than anything. I just wanted them to do it for right. real. Right, and I mean, you're, you're, you're a guy who, for many seasons, went out on his own and, like, there was an authenticity to what you're doing. So I could, I could see how, 
I could see how you would be a, a critic of the other way of doing it where it's, you know, a little more stage and a little more, or maybe a lot more stage, a lot more scripted and, and a lot more, you know, <laughs> like, you know, you're watching night footage with guys with night vision equipment and they may be standing on the road or whatever, but yeah. Okay. I mean, that's fair enough. And that's why I, when I, when you put the article, the, I loved the article, I loved the questions and I thought, oh, he made a good point there, but I really had a better back point that, sure. You'd it, be a really good reality TV critic, I think. Like, oh, like for hire, like a, like a reality TV pundit or something. But oh, like, no, but, I'm, I'm full of raining on parades. So that's all it is. I'm going to burst everybody's okay. bubble with that. Okay. I do it with Alone. I do it with Naked. I've, I've had people ask me about Alone or Naked and Afraid, and I've had to say, are you okay if I burst your bubble? And then, why? What do you mean? And I've actually seen people feel hurt when I've said, look, you need to understand something. And so, and yeah, I pick and choose when and where. I do that, but I like my rain, my, my parade being rained on. I like knowing the truth. I don't, I don't want to walk around. I don't like the statement that ignorance is bliss. I mean, no, it's not that I don't like the statement. It's just that I understand it. I don't want to be ignorant. Never want to be ignorant. I don't sure. Ignorance may be bliss. Well then look, I'm pretty happy. <laughs> like I'm not miserable. I'm not a, a what are they, a malcontent by any stretch. I love being open to what's possible. If I want to watch fiction, I'll watch fiction because I know it's fiction. But if someone passes off fiction as truth, that bothers me. Maybe that bothers me about life, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Symptom of the internet. That's a very, that I think it's a very dangerous one. You don't think it's dangerous that the internet can be full of lots of misleading, loud voices? No, I think it's absolutely dangerous. I think the world has changed both for the better, but also for the worse because of that technology. I mean, every, every form of technology brings unintended consequences. I mean, as far back as the earliest, simplest technology, like an ax even, but I mean, the, the, the internet is, is, is rife with it. And I think anyone who has an opinion and that's pretty much almost everyone can now say it publicly. And I think that's why everyone's at their, each other's throats. I think in the past, there wasn't this cacophony of statements and opinions and positions that were sort of, you know, I mean, I've told a friend of mine, I, I came up with, with a metaphor. I think it was like Twitter now, for instance, is a little bit like a reality before Twitter where there was no Twitter, but every human being could hear what every other human being thought in their own minds as each thought passed through their mind. When you are reflexive and say whatever you think or feel at every moment, of course people are going to get upset, right? Because like, there's no self-censorship. There is no, well, should I wait till, you know, how I'm, till I calm down later to decide whether to say it or not? It's just like trigger happy comments nonstop to get attention and to get status in a way. Like if you say something really cool or you say something controversial or that maybe even be true, but, but is, but is also offensive, like everyone's kind of trying to rack up their likes and trying to rack up their status basically. And, and what happens as a result sort of order suffers at the, at the expense of chaos. What if you've already achieved status and you continue with the sensationalistic comments? Do you feel that that's an abuse of status? Humans have a very hard time knowing what is enough. We have a hard time knowing when we're sated or when we, it's the same with attention, right? We all have a need to both give and to receive attention, but our, appetite for receiving attention is almost limitless. It's the same thing with status. Like, things that are our innate needs, we tend to kind of go crazy with them. When you achieve a certain amount of status, you kind of want more status. It's like with money or wealth, right? It's like enough is never enough. We don't self-edit. We don't self-limit. You remember 20, 25 years ago, the, the advertisement from 
you know, being in Canada, we get our, our liquor from the LCBO, the Liquor Control Board of Ontario. And they used to have advertisements that say, you are your own liquor, liquor control board, which is a bit of a joke because in reality, we, we're just not that good at it. We're not that good at self-limiting. And, and self-discipline. Yeah, and I think and I think that's why we we are at risk of destroying the planet because the idea of growth, for instance, is sort of limitless. Our economy and our lives somehow mean nothing unless there's some growth attached to it, endless growth. And if an economy was to shrink, you know, many years in a row, it's not like we're going to be like impoverished. That is what makes us uh, a very dangerous species. Well, it's very difficult to to convince us to pull back because, well, what are you talking about? I have the right to be here. I have the right to pollute. You know, I, I, I've, I've had somebody say that to me, you know, I have, I have the right to do this. I, I, I we, we earned this right to get here and you, you did it. So why can't we? Yeah. Or we fool ourselves that nothing's going to happen or that it'll be all right. Or, you know, we don't have the breadth of vision, the depth of vision to see what the consequences are, or we delude ourselves. It's some, there's something called willful blindness. Ignorance is bliss. You know, and, right? and what I I'm mean, saying. not to reconnect it to Sasquatch again or, or whatever, but like, again, these are, these are mental postures. These are dynamics of, of perception and belief. And these are the things that determine everything in our lives every day, basically. We may, you know, we're chasing Sasquatches, but like, <laughs> we, are the, we are by far the strangest, most mysterious creatures, perhaps in the universe. And we haven't got a clue why we exist. Yeah. Or even just some stuff as sim simple as just our own behavior. You know what I mean? Like it's just, we're anyway, but well, it's level that's, upon that's, level. That's, upon that's level. the purpose of life is to discover is to try and nip it in the bud. I think so. So the purpose of life is to nip something in the bud. Is that well, it's to say? figure out who we are and what we're doing and to maybe get it right at, at some point after dropping the ball countless times and starting over again. I think it's this, that's what is looking like is going to happen at a global level. It's happened civilizationally. Cultures have extinguished themselves, but now for the first time, because we're so interconnected, because we are a global community, when a civilization collapses, it will be planet-wide as opposed to just the Mayan or just the Egyptian. And, or just the United dynasty. States of America. Yeah, there is no just the United States. Mm -hmm. And that's what, makes, that's what makes the stakes even higher this time, I think. Hey, I'm just going to interrupt John and say, if you like this podcast, be sure to check out John Zada Part 1 or my trifecta Bigfoot interview podcasts I did on my own in season one of Surviving Life with Les Stroud. It's an easy find whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on right now. I had fun writing this next song. It was after watching the now classic film The Big Chill and hearing a few ex-hippies talk about being, as Randy Newman calls them ironically, the greatest generation. From my debut album, this is The 60s Are Dead. Cause you are so old So dead are the ideals and dreams that you sold Your poets and singers all live on the hill But you're the fool that remembers All of the big things you say now that the sixties are dead 
Bob Dylan, the Beatles, the Stones and the Who. Nixon and Vietnam, Kennedy too. You spend lots of money to put a man on the moon. But now it's your sons and your daughters who have to live life in the red. Now that the 60s are dead. 30 years go by Still sing American Pie But you no longer hide Woodstock and Hendrix Hippies and peace It's all just nostalgia Cause all things must cease So check your investments Cash in all your bonds Cause you will always remember All of the stupid things you said Now that the sixties are dead Sixty years go on Still sing the same damn old songs So long Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You know what? Aggressor Adventures, while being the largest liveaboard dive operation in the world, is so much more. They have safaris and excursions to the corners of the globe, exciting opportunities to see vast archaeology, history, and natural wonders. I've been traveling and diving with them for years, 
and I cannot endorse them enough for being simply the best there is at making sure your worldwide adventure is a safe, comfortable, and exciting one. Take it from a guy who has done a lot of adventuring. Who do I travel with on my vacations? Aggressor Adventures. You're surviving life with Les Stroud. I still sort of see this split between those who get it, those who get what you're saying, and those who just don't care. Just don't give a rat's ass. And it's frustrating because this might sound kind of blunt and base, but the reality is those that don't care have outbred those who do. And you can see it the majority of population that's willing to be willfully blind. And you say, what do you mean they're willing to be willfully blind? Well, maybe they don't even know they're willfully... I, I, I get the bottom line is they're blind and they don't care. We could discuss the environment with a lot of people go, I don't care. I really don't care. And to bring it back a bit to the media, often to a degree, the media is so freakishly misleading and so freakishly simple in what it dishes out. I saw a headline this morning saving the planet may mean cutting back to a burger and a half per week. And I'm just, just looking at a headline like this, which echoes the kind of headlines that you'd see in good housekeeping 20 years ago to be fit. You only need walk 20 minutes a day. And it's like, Oh, really? And that kind of media explanation for how we're supposed to think, well, a lot of willfully blind people go, ah, okay, I'm just not going to have that second burger this week and I'm doing my part to save the planet. Thank you very much. I'm good. I'm good now. It frustrates the hell out of me. If you can hear it in my voice, it just frustrates the hell out of me. It's like, come on, can't we think about this? But again, apologies to all people. There's no disrespect meant here, more or less. But in the end, people who are willfully blind are outbreeding those who want to see and want to know. And you said our job is to nip it in the bud and discover what life is. I, I think in the end, if you're open enough, you will recognize what we aren't going to. There's no way, you can't really know until you die. Yeah, maybe not this time. I mean, it may be a snakes and ladders thing too, where, you know, like mm. there is perhaps an infinite number of attempts that can be made. And I mean, so long as, so long as the planet, let's say, is able to support life and time doesn't matter if it takes another few million years or hundreds of thousands of years or even just tens of thousands for us to get back to a kind of place where we can move forward again, then it'll just take that long, I think. The world has an opportunity to either become Blade Runner mm -hmm. or Star Wars. And believe it or not, I'm hoping for Star Wars because in Star Wars, at least there were like natural places still in existence on the planet where, I don't know, where the Ewoks or whatever lived. You know, these beautiful, they actually shot it in a Vancouver area, the, these beautiful, big, massive forests. And that. Well, at least in that modern world, natural worlds still existed. But in Blade Runner, Blade Runner scares the crap out of me because I look at it and I go, damn, I don't want to be around if it gets like that. If we've learned how to live without trees, you know, I just, I don't want to be there. I have no idea. Where I agree. I wouldn't want to live in Blade Runner either. No, no, it's scary. <laughs> but there are people that would. Yeah, yeah. There are other people, who, like I said, that would just. I don't care. You know, you worry too much. Yeah. You know, and they'd be fine with it. I, I just, it's so enjoyable to listen to people who are interested in what life is, what existence is, and I myself, I'm, I'm trying to look back at more classical reading. Uh, I've never read Crime and Punishment, for example. I think it's high time I do because it's it's quoted often by philosophers and, and when they're trying to explain something else. I think you said we're not in a place 
of questioning life. I think Western culture at the moment is, is I think, more superficial than it's ever been, I think. It, I mean, that's, that's my own take on why, it. I mean, why? Why do you think that? I think civilizations, empires, follow certain cycles. If we could describe Western civilization as being, let's say, America-centric, Europe-America-centric, when an empire or civilization is building, there is this sort of upward effort that is made by the people to build that culture. There's a lot of discipline. There's a lot of hard work. There are early fruits in that effort. And I think we've kind of, we've crested. The problem is we've become successful. Here's my short answer. We've become successful, incredibly successful. We've become wealthy. We've become rich in general. And so we're now on the decline. I think every empire has its decline. And I think it's decadence. That's what destroys every empire. The actual thing that is the knockout blow may be something else. Like it it was the Huns with the Romans. I think we're now in the, it's probably the early decline. I don't know still exactly where we fit on that. But, and in that decline, there is a kind of, I don't know, like a laziness that decadence breeds. We no longer have to struggle to survive. We become complacent. We become complacent. Exactly. And I think wealth wealth corrupts, and as a result, the products of our culture, our writing, our, I mean, I, I just wrote a book, but like movies and news and like our reverence for celebrities, mm-hmm. our, our excessive reverence of celebrities. They've become, in a sense, celebrities have become our modern day gods, our, our, our pantheon of deities. We may be one of the most irreligious cultures. We may have hit a a kind of high in our irreligiosity. There are still people who are very kind of rooted in the religion, but like, let's face it, man, celebrities are, they're our gods. That's a new religion. We follow them. We follow their every step and their every breath and their every movement as though it it made some kind of difference to our day-to-day lives. They come and go like crazy now, right? It doesn't, you know, none of them really last. So there are people who've studied civilizational collapses and and they have all noted that celebrity worship excessive celebrity worship is a is a hallmark is a hallmark where would you place trump <laughs> <laughs> i mean with kardashian or whomever tweeting out something little tweet but i mean the president of the of the united states just to say the president of yeah, the free world yeah i think i mean i i think once he's done however that will play out we'll probably look back on him as kind of like a minor like a precursor to what followed him that was much worse. That is because he lowered the bar. I think he lowered yeah, the I think hearing. he's I think his job was to lower the bar. Mm-hmm. His job wasn't to kill or to maim. He's even afraid to go to war. Like if you just watch him, he's so egotistical. And this is the benefit perhaps of ego in this case, that he doesn't want to be equated with being a warmonger. I think he knows that it's an area that it's just, that's just beyond him and that it's, he's opening. His job, I think, as a president will have been to lower the bar, to make it okay to say things and to approach levels of corruption that haven't been attained yet. And, and I think those who follow will, they'll be the ones who really, really cross the red lines. I mean, that's, I hope not, but, and there, there, you know, there may be other leaders in between who raise the bar again a little bit, but perhaps to no avail, and, and then it'll just keep going down. And, and that's just, that's the cycle of life. All things die. Cultures, communities, countries are all organic entities that are born, they have their high periods, and they fall, right? It's, it's 
I just swatted an insect you just, off of you my You just head. killed that I fly. I just killed the fly. You brought who, it home for the fly. Who reached its high point and then... <laughs> and then yeah, but it was taken out from yeah, underneath anyway, him as you sorry, killed I mean, him I'm just, mid-bite. I'm getting into this conversation, so I'm kind of sounding a bit like a... Yeah. No, I, I absolutely love where you go. I, How's your fact, whiskey, by the way? It's it's we, we freaking phenomenal. We haven't told I, people I that thank we're you. sipping a little bit of... Oh, man, it is, it's got that... Lefroig. It's got that peat sense that just washes through your whole mouth right down the throat. And just to give a little play-by-play, there were a couple of canoeists who went by in a kayaker Mm -hmm. over at the far end of the lake there, kind of classical Muskoka scene. First world bliss. This is our first world bliss. Absolutely. Back on the dark subject matter, uh, Sam Harris was made a really good point about, boy, when you get someone in that office who has the same methods, but is far more shrewd and has a far more sinister agenda, uh, that's when the real danger would come. Like you say, Trump was, is, is a door opener to whatever may come after. And you're quite right. There may be dips into, mm-hmm. you know, the positive here and there. Mm-hmm. There might be, a, you the know. The pendulum will the, swing as yeah, it does. swing around. As it has. The pendulum always swings. It's a crazy thing about life, how far the pendulum swings and things. I was interested in what you said that the middle doesn't necessarily mean you don't have a point. Yeah, not having an opinion doesn't mean that you you are necessarily in the middle. Neutrality, being in the middle, is one way of being, but but to not fall heavily to one side or the other doesn't mean you are exactly in between. I mean, I I mean I may not be out there preaching for the existence of Sasquatch, but I may lean very heavily towards their existence in one way or the other. But I mean, but because I haven't, you know, I haven't seen one, I'm not going to, you know, and plus it's not everybody's role to push for something, even if you're for it or believe in it or lean towards it. I mean, I think everyone has their, everyone has their role in this life. And, and, you know, with regards to the book, maybe, maybe mine is to, is to expose ambiguity a little bit because ambiguity is okay. (laughs) And I think, I think we live in times where ambiguity is not tolerated. And is maybe more than not tolerated. I think, and I, there may come a time where you have to fall on one side or the other. When you go to a place where there's a war, you cannot not have an opinion. You know what I mean? Like you are, you're either with them or or against them. Or that's the most dangerous form of thinking. Well, where are you going next? In terms of travel? <laughs> no, you know what I mean. Yeah, in terms of of, I mean, you've done this this book in the valleys of the noble beyond. You've chatted with me about a few things, but. And I, I know you've got you, you you're you're going to do what you can to obviously make the public aware of the. By the way, beautiful cover. <laughs> um, yeah, they did they did I nice can, things with the with the tone and the color. Yeah, and I've been there. I've been in that scene, and I can picture it. Where do you go with all of this next? As far as uh, by the way, is it John Zeta or John Zada? It's Zada, but that's Zada. Okay. So I used to be called Zeta when I was younger, so that's not a. It's, it's not an a, easy one to mispronounce. Yeah. Uh, where do where does John Zada? go next in his with his life how about that oh <laughs> man that's a tough question i'm i'm kind of trying to, i'm kind of trying to get through the book promo phase of things but um you're going to get beyond that at some point yeah i don't know well know. i'll i'll relate it a little bit to to the book and to my travels in the great bear rainforest and i'll talk a little bit about just just really briefly about what i took away from the trip that is not sasquatch related really quick one of the really really big lessons that i learned being in these indigenous communities was seeing how people there 
have a relationship with the land, with landscape, a relationship with place. And being a suburban guy slash city guy, because I mean, if you're a suburbanite, you're basically a city person. Okay, we I had my little forest dwelling, my little ravine where I would go, you know, play as a kid and stuff, and I developed a, a, a bond with that. What was my relationship to place? My relationship to place was when I got old enough to drink, it would be the bars, it would be the cinema, it would be the shopping mall where I would go play video games when I was like 12 and stuff, right? And, and you know, but then you go to these other places, they're rural, they're, they're, they're nature places, and people who live on the land for thousands of years, you know, even upwards of 10,000, 14,000 years, and every creek system, every cove, every clam beach, every mountain had a story. And it, whether it was more of a kind of a, I mean, all stories in those places are real. So I'm not even going to say mythical or fictional, like stories are stories. So stuff happens when you're out on the land. So everyone seemed to have at the very least a place where that family came from. They could point to an island. They could point to an inlet and say, that's where my family came from, or that's where my grandmother was born, or that's where my old village was wiped out by plague back in the 1800s and and the bodies were put in canoes and set to rest. And so envy is kind of considered a negative emotion, but I felt envious. I was like, man, I kind of wish I had like a relationship to a place. And in the same way that I have a relationship with friends and with coworkers and with, I want a relationship with a place. So in answer to your question, what's next for John Zada, I think maybe part of my life question. I mean, I'm not going to talk about writing because I don't know yet what the, what the writing is going to, where, where that's going to take me. But I, I would like to maybe build a life that is predicated on a relationship with place more than it is. I mean, okay, I go back to Toronto after traveling for a month somewhere and I'm happy to be home and there's familiarity. That's a relationship with place. I have friends there. I have family there. That's a relationship with place, a place where my family are, but I don't actually have a relationship with a place. It's paved in concrete, man. <laughs> there's no animals there except for, you know, urban raccoons and, and maybe squirrels. And that's one of the really big takeaways from my journeys on the coast. That's one of, that's what I got from the quest for trying to understand Sasquatch was what matters maybe the most in life is not just our relationships, but if you're predisposed to nature, to have a very personal and intimate and close relationship with it. And that so that when you are on your deathbed and hopefully are in that place, in addition to your loved ones, that is the last thing you see mm. and not some room indoors somewhere or some sterile hospital. What a wonderful place to close off part two of my conversation with John Zada. And yes, believe it or not, there is a part three coming at you. And that's what happens when I pour a glass of scotch before doing these podcasts. Surviving Life with Les Stroud is presented by the Apostrophe Podcast Network, happily ensconced in the natural world of Berks Falls, Ontario, and their now famous TerraStream. Our audio engineer, Keith Ullman, puts all of this together from his Bigfoot cave somewhere in the... Actually, I have no idea where Keith lives, come to think of it. He told me once, but I wasn't listening. You're surviving life with me, Les Stroud. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel, Survivor Man Les Stroud, as I have hundreds of videos there and more going up every week. From Survivor Man Archive to Bigfoot to wild harvesting tips to urban disaster survival. It's all there and it's all free. 
my brand new series, Wild Harvest, featuring local foraging and turning those wild edibles into sumptuous dishes, is now on National Geographic Asia, PBS stations in the United States, and Cottage Life Television in Canada. The brand new special, Surviving Disasters with Les Stroud, is now on a PBS station near you in the United States or on my YouTube channel. And my brand new children's book, Wild Outside, written for your kids. It's all about getting your kids into the out of doors. And it's out now. Google it. I'm an easy find on Google for those and so much more that I produce during any given year, no matter what's happening on the world stage. And that's why they call me Survivor Man. Okay, well, not really, but that sounded like a cool way to end the show. Come back for more, everyone. We'll figure this life out. Together. Cue that ripping harmonica solo, Keith. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.